0: everyone, I'm Madden. And I'm Zoe. And this is the Unnamed O podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be telling you the story of a man who committed suicide in a church in Boise, Idaho. This is the story of Cyanide in the Church. Our story today begins in a church with a note. The church was Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Boise, Idaho, and the note was a suicide note. On December 4th, 1982, the body of a middle-aged man was found under a pew in the church. According to the Doe Network, the man was seen alive at the pew around 4pm, shortly before the confession service was due to be started. However, according to a KTVB7 news article from 2021, The medical examiner estimated that John Doe had died around 12 p.m. that day, and then he was discovered about five hours later. I don't know why there are different times of death listed on different sources, so I'm not sure which is the correct one. And
1: that's a pretty big range for time since death, right?
0: Yeah, I think that most people seem to agree it's probably the 12 p.m. one but I don't know why the Doe Network would have made a point to write that it was around 4 p.m. if it wasn't. There's always a possibility that I misinterpreted what the Doe Network was saying as well, but I'm really not sure which one is correct.
1: Okay, weird.
0: It doesn't really play into the story that much, though. What we do know is that John Doe was found with $1,900 in cash and the suicide note I mentioned earlier, which we'll get more to later, but nothing was found beyond the clothes he had on his back and also a wallet in his pocket.
1: That's a fair amount of cash. It's a lot of cash. Especially well, for
0: the 80s. I don't know what the conversion is with inflation, but it's a it's, decent amount of cash. It's a decent amount. <laughs> Were his clothes fancy clothes or anything like that? I'll describe them in more detail later, but he is described as being quote-unquote fashionably dressed. Le John Doe was a Caucasian 35 to 45-year-old man with sandy, possibly sun-bleached hair and tan skin. He was clean-shaven, and his hair was groomed. He was six foot tall and 175 pounds at the time of his death, and he had died as a result of suicide. Now, the manner in which John Doe committed suicide was unusual, to say the least. He had taken his own life using cyanide poisoning. That's not something you hear every day. It's really not, at least not now.
1: No. No. I said I've that never. really cryptically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I haven't heard of cyanide poisoning before,
0: so... I mean, you've heard of it before. Well, yeah, like just in the Hunger it? Games. <laughs> I think that was Nightlock or Nightshade or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, it was like basically the
1: same thing. It was cyanide. Yeah. Basically. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that's not important.
1: <laughs> I haven't heard of like cyanide poisoning since like World War Two stuff. Really? Yeah. Like, I don't feel like people just like get cyanide and are like... Okay, here we go.
0: I feel like it was more common in the 80s than we think. Yeah, I wasn't alive during the 80s, so I don't know. We'll get into it, we'll get into it. We're about to do a deep dive into cyanide. So here is everything you ever wanted to know about cyanide. So obviously cyanide is a poison, and it's an incredibly fast-acting one. If someone has been exposed to cyanide, they're gonna display some symptoms, but then death usually occurs within just a couple of minutes, sometimes longer depending on the potency, and if it's a really weak potency, there is a slim chance of survival. A slim chance. Most cyanide results in death. I guess that people that have survived cyanide poisoning have experienced long-term neurological problems as a result. Not everyone, but quite a few. You can measure the level of cyanide in someone's bloodstream, but this takes some time. If someone has 0.5 to one milligrams per liter of blood, the poisoning is considered mild. If they have one to two milligrams of cyanide per liter of blood, the poisoning is considered moderate. If someone has two to three milligrams of poisoning per liter, it's considered severe. And anything greater than three milligrams will almost always result in death. So these
1: lower, potencies they can survive yeah okay it's It's just when you get over that three that you really have no chance of survival
0: yeah pretty much cyanide poisoning first displays itself as a headache dizziness a fast heart rate trouble breathing and throwing up then more severe symptoms begin to set in the victim's heart rate starts to slow dramatically and their blood pressure drops and they'll likely lose consciousness followed by seizures and cardiac arrest All within a few minutes. That sounds so horrible. If he was under a church pew, how did nobody notice this? Actually, there were people in the church at the time that he committed suicide. Did they see it or notice what was happening or did they just let it be? I guess he was sitting in the back. It was like the church was pretty empty and there were a few people sitting in the pews towards the front, but he was in one towards the back. And cyanide, you know, as a death, it's really fast acting. It's over in a few minutes, and it's not guaranteed that someone will have seizures if they take cyanide. So he could have just kind of slipped to the floor and been under the pew.
1: Yeah, but if your heart is racing, I feel like you're going to start breathing heavier. You said trouble breathing. Like, those are
0: things that you can notice. Throwing up? Like, people are going to notice that. You would think, but I guess no one noticed. Whenever they did find him... I believe he was cold to the touch. Like, I don't think they found him for a few hours. Like I said earlier, it was probably that 12 p.m. death time and four to five hours before they found him, even though there were people in the church, which is strange to me. But I guess when they found him, he wasn't completely hidden under the pew. He was kind of in a kneeling position with his head down. So maybe they thought he was praying or something. Okay, that gives a little bit more
1: clarity because... I was trying to rationalize in my head. I did not grow up Catholic, but I grew up going to church. And I know Catholic churches function fundamentally different than churches that I've been to. But I mean, if you see somebody in a pew you like I feel like you usually go check on them like I one of the churches I went to people would pray a lot after service sometimes or before the service or whatever if they were there for too long somebody would usually go pray with them again or double check they were okay because you just check on people
0: another thing is that this was happening around the time of confessionals so I think people that were there were within the booths maybe or they were filtering in and out of the confessional booths and then probably leaving the church So they probably only passed him on their way in and on their way out They were just sticking around for confession and then leaving that would be my guess
1: Okay, that makes more sense. I just don't know how catholic churches function.
0: I don't really either I didn't grow up going to church But I know that confessional booths are booths and they're enclosed because they're supposed to be private
1: Yeah, I actually did a project where I went to a catholic church and I like toured the church a little bit and the confessionals were inside the sanctuary, but like separate. Yeah. There was like a confessional booth. You have to walk in from the lobby area into mm-hmm. the sanctuary area. And it was a room inside the sanctuary kind of towards the back.
0: So it like, kind of secluded, private. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. people are confessing their sins. That's supposed to yeah. be between them and their priest. But I could definitely see where if you just walk in the front door... And I don't know what this church looks like on the inside, but if you walk in the front door, you kind of pass someone who looks like they're kneeling praying. You don't want to bother them. You go sit in the front pew, wait for your turn in confession, do your confession, and then you just walk out and you're like, oh, he's still praying. I could see where you're not really that concerned about it.
1: No, that makes sense. I get that. I thought they were in a service, I guess. Mm -mm. And I didn't realize they were just praying. And I guess- Like, I guess Catholic churches are just open kind of all the time. You can kind of come and go from what I gather. I think there's supposed to be a priest almost always there, maybe.
0: We do know that eventually a churchgoer found him.
1: Am I just super hyper fixating on this for kind of no reason?
0: No, I mean, I think it's a really valid question to wonder how no one realized this sooner, especially with the cause of death being cyanide. All right, now back to cyanide. I had always heard of cyanide being taken in pill form. I just always think of a cyanide capsule, I guess.
1: I guess I really just think about the Hunger Games because they like put it in their little pouch and they they just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they just bite it. Yeah. That's what that little noise, that, that, that's yeah, what that she was. She
0: pretended to bite, like, a capsule that would be on, like, a vest, like, yeah. in the Hunger Games.
1: And I'm pretty sure, isn't that what they did in World War Two? or am I pulling that out? Am I, is that really no, what No, I, I
0: think soldiers slash spies used to carry cyanide capsules that isn't they that... could reach without their hands. Yeah. So that they could, you know, commit suicide rather than risk giving away information if they were captured behind enemy lines or whatever. Now one of the reasons i always think of cyanide being taken as like a pill form is because of the tylenol murders which if you don't know what the tylenol murders are there are a ton of resources and documentaries and what have you out there about it you can definitely google it But here is a really quick rundown for you. In 1982, in Chicago, people began dying after consuming extra-strength Tylenol. Someone, who has never been caught, had been sneaking Tylenol capsules laced with potassium cyanide into Tylenol bottles on the shelves of stores. The victims of the murders had purchased the extra-strength Tylenol bottles and then unknowingly took the pills laced with cyanide. Ultimately, seven people were killed from the original Tylenol bottles, although there were several copycat killings that cropped up in other places afterwards. The Tylenol murders are actually the reason that anti-tampering seals on medications now exist. Thank God they do. People are awful.
1: (laughs) In case you didn't know.
0: (laughs) In case you're listening to a true crime podcast and you did not know that people are awful. Can be awful. Some people are not awful. Yeah. To get back to how you can ingest cyanide, this is not a how-to guide. This is a what-to-avoid guide. Apparently, one of the most common ways that cyanide is ingested is actually through a house fire. I guess sometimes when you breathe in the smoke from a house fire, you could actually be breathing in compounds that contain cyanide. How? Basically, if your house has materials in it that contain the cyanide compound and they get released into the smoke, then you're breathing in those vapors and you're getting poisoned with cyanide.
1: Uh, another reason I don't want a house fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why. Why? list no i mean add that one to the list (laughs) no it's just another reason that like i don't want my house to
0: catch on fire like what is wrong with that i don't want my house to catch on fire no but like like, why do you need reasons that you don't want your house to catch on fire like just not (laughs) wanting your house to catch on fire should be enough (laughs) okay let's let's get back to it Hydrogen cyanide gas and many cyanide salts are compounds that contain cyanide, and they're not just found in the smoke from house fires. Now, I know I said that house fires are one of the most common ways to ingest cyanide, but they are certainly not the only way. Metal polishing, certain insecticides, specific medications, and very specific seeds like apple and apricot seeds can all contain cyanide. However, the seeds, like in an apple, if you accidentally eat an apple seed, you will not be poisoned with cyanide, let's get that straight. They contain very, very trace amounts. It's tiny, it's not enough to do any damage. So if you accidentally eat an apple seed, do not worry. But yeah, they all contain compounds that have cyanide in them. In addition to cyanide poisoning via air vapors or ingestion, cyanide can also be absorbed through the skin. All right, so you might be wondering how you can treat someone who's suspected of cyanide poisoning. Well, you take them to the doctor because you're not a professional. You should not be treated. (laughs) I'm just saying how someone would be treated for cyanide. First, you want to remove the person from the environment where the exposure likely happened, and then the victim has to be decontaminated. In most cases, decontamination just involves destroying the clothes they were wearing and washing their hair and body. Then, to treat the victim, they're given medical care and 100% oxygen as well as vitamin B12, amongst other things. The reason that 100% oxygen is given to cyanide victims is because cyanide works by interfering with cellular respiration. This means that the body's tissues can't absorb or use oxygen and they start to shut down. I know I told you earlier that cyanide was used in the Chicago Tylenol murders, but it has also been used in some pretty horrible ways throughout history. Cyanide was used by the Nazis in order to commit mass genocide, and it was also used at the Jonestown Massacre. Just like I said with the Tylenol murders, there are a lot of great resources out there about the Jonestown Massacre, so definitely research it if you want the full story, but here's a mini deep dive for you. Jonestown was a settlement in Guyana that was created by a religious cult known as the People's Temple. On November 18th, 1978, 909 followers of the religion died in Jonestown. The leader of the cult, Jim Jones, had urged his followers to drink Flavor-Aid mixed with cyanide to commit, quote-unquote, revolutionary suicide in the name of their, again, quote-unquote, religion.
1: It was pretty wild. Cults aren't cool. Don't join one. If it can be avoided, yes. Yeah, that's true. If you suspect you're in a cult, there are resources out there for you. Also true. You can get out.
0: While some drank the cyanide mixture by choice, evidence shows that many were poisoned against their will. At least 70 people were injected with cyanide, and quick content warning for discussion of death of children, one-third of the victims were children. Guards were instructed to shoot and kill anyone who tried to run from the massacre. Out of the 909 people who died that day, only two died from something other than cyanide poisoning.
1: If you want more information, about the Jonestown Massacre. Definitely check out Something Was Wrong. I forget which season it was. It's one of the earlier seasons. I think season four, maybe. I think, yeah, I think it's season four, but love that podcast. But she does a really good job covering it and talks to people who were involved in it and survived. It's
0: really crazy, but yeah, you can check it out. Definitely go check them out. They're pretty cool. So there you go, there's your deep dive into cyanide. And with all that said, let's get back to the case. Zoe, I already described John Doe's physical characteristics, but let's get into what he was wearing because I think it's decently distinctive. He was wearing a long sleeve green shirt that was described by the Doe Network as quote unquote casual, a pair of blue jeans and cowboy boots. He was also wearing some accessories, including a belt that had a white metal buckle, a Seiko brand wristwatch, and a nickel-silver bolo tie with a turquoise sewn in the center. One really interesting thing about this bolo tie is that on the back, P. Period white was stamped. This is assumed to be the signature of whoever created the tie. Zoe, do you want to describe what a bolo tie is for anyone who might not be familiar?
1: Okay, a bolo tie is... it's got, like, fringe that hangs down. Like where the tie part is, it's fringe instead. Where a normal tie would tie at, that is actually, it's sometimes a piece of metal or some type of stone. It's like a triangular fastening that connects the fringy string stuff. It's very distinctive. If you've seen a Wild West movie, you've probably seen a bolo tie. Or if you've seen Wizards of Waverly Place, The principal wears them all the time. It's like a huge joke
0: in the show. Yeah, pretty much. They're just kind of a western style tie.
1: Yeah, it's like cowboys were like, forget ties, we're
0: gonna make our own. Yet they reinvented the tie. They really did. Like I said earlier, according to the Doe Network, John Doe was described as fashionably dressed. Even though green shirt, bolo tie, and jeans doesn't really scream fashionably dressed to me. But you know... It was the 80s. It was the 80s. That was pretty fashionable for the 80s, I guess. Here's a drawing of the bolo tie and a picture of the belt buckle, as well as a reconstruction of John Doe himself. I have a lot to say, so buckle up. Okay,
1: so the bolo tie is just a drawing with colored pencils is what it looks like. It has uh, that fastening that I talked about. It looks like it's white, and then it's got that turquoise stone in the middle, and the top part of it has what looks like string, on it I don't know um and then kind of like a diamond shape but like a drunk diamond <laughs> I
0: just stop describing things as drunk it's like you know it's, the it's, oh, oh it's, it's like, like a upside down teardrop yeah 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 <laughs> but it's, no it's an it's upside, upside down teardrop, teardrop.
1: Yeah. yeah the bottom part of the upside down teardrop is pretty plain Yeah, there's just that white border around the turquoise. Let's move on to the belt buckle. Is that somebody's face engraved on it? It looks like
0: a ghostly portrait.
1: Yeah, it does. It kind of looks like the same silhouette as the John Doe. Yeah, literally. It's really weird. I think it's just the way the metal is reflecting. I hope so because that's weird. It's really hard to see, but it looks like there's dots around the, like, center belt buckle part, and it looks like it's highly engraved on the sides. It looks like it's pretty intricate, but I can't really see very much of it because it's just a really bad picture. It is a very bad picture. Yeah, but I just can't get over, it looks like this man's silhouette on his belt buckle. Okay, this reconstruction I have a lot to say about. So they kind of drew him very full-faced in this. Which, if you remember, he was six foot and one hundred and seventy-five pounds, and that's pretty thin for a six-foot-tall man. Yeah,
0: and he looks pretty stocky.
1: Yeah, like he's got pretty full cheeks. He's got bigger shoulders, like yeah, a bigger neck. Yeah, and he's, he's just a bigger man,
0: and a, just kind of a bigger skull by the looks yeah. of it. Yeah,
1: now that I'm looking at it more, it kind of looks like he could just be a bigger man. It's very ambiguous. And it's just from
0: the neck up.
1: Yeah. I also want to point out that this shirt is not green. There is green
0: highlights on it, but it's mostly black. And that's weird. I really think that's just the artist's interpretation of his shirt. Because there are green spots. So I think they're just trying to show like this part's in shadow. So they colored it black. But it does look like a black shirt. It's weird. It's very strange. It was a strange choice for sure. His nose looks pretty crooked. Which there's nothing mentioned anywhere about his nose being crooked, so I don't know why that is. And why does
1: one of his ears look really big? Like you can only see one of his ears, and the other's covered up by hair, so either his hair is uneven or he's got one bigger ear than the other. I don't know what's going on there.
0: It wasn't mentioned, so it's likely just artist interpretation or just kind of. I don't know.
1: Nothing else is really distinctive about his face. His eyes are just like not distinctive. They're not downturned. They're not anything. It's really hard to see depth on this. I don't even
0: know if they're hooded or anything like that. His lips seem pretty full actually. If you remember what I said earlier, John Doe also had a wallet in his possession. All it contained was $53 in cash but there were no forms of identification or distinguishing pieces of evidence within the wallet. It kind of seems like he
1: didn't want to be identified if he didn't have any ID in there.
0: Yeah, I don't think he did want to be identified because he took all his ID out of his wallet and he went to the church to commit suicide. He didn't do it in his home or somewhere he was familiar with, although he may have been familiar with the church. We don't know.
1: But if nobody recognized him, I would say it's probably more likely that he would have only been familiar with it when he was younger or something like that.
0: We'll get into some theories later, and then you can let me know what you think. But now that we've covered what was found on the John Doe, let's circle back to what was found in his possession, which, if you remember, was $1,900 cash and a type suicide note that was found in his shirt pocket. The note began, quote, in the event of my death, end quote, and then explained that it was the man's wish that the cash on his person be used for his funeral and cremation. Then, if there was any left over, he wished that it would be donated to the church. The note ended with, quote, God will see to your honesty in this, end quote. The suicide note was also signed, but it was signed with a fake name William L. Toomey. Per the man's wishes, a public funeral was held on December 6th, 1982. Despite being unidentified, there were a lot of people that attended the funeral, anywhere from 200 to 300 people, although some sources say around 150. However, against the man's wishes, the leftover money was not donated to the church where he died, but was instead kept by the county.
1: I guess they really had no way to prove that the note was actually his. This is kind of like outlandish. And probably very unlikely. And it's going to be a little bit of wild speculation. So just like hang on. But it was a typed note. He could have been poisoned, hypothetically. And somebody may have just been wanting to give the money to the church and just make sure this guy wasn't identified. And again, that's wild speculation. And I know we're going to talk about theories in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I guess they really couldn't follow his note exactly because how did they have proof that he, it was his? I guess. That's
0: a really good point. And I never encountered that theory online, and it's not one I thought of either. But that's a really good theory because no one actually saw him die. So who's to say he did willingly take the cyanide or did type that note or whatever? Who knows? Additionally, John Doe was not cremated, as he had specified in his letter, and instead he was buried in Syringa Garden Cemetery, or possibly Dry Creek Cemetery, depending on the source you read. He was actually buried using taxpayer money, not the money left over that he had when he died. So the county literally pocketed the money and used tax money to pay for his burial, which is super bizarre to me, but not really important to the investigation, I guess.
1: Yeah, but I guess they really had no way to validate if this note was his. So I guess they probably
0: couldn't use the
1: money. I don't know. But they
0: are going to use the money if they kept it. It's just so weird to me that he had cash on him that he wanted to be used for the funeral. But instead, the county was like, eh, we'll use taxpayer money for that. And we'll keep his money for us.
1: Weird. Is it explicitly said that they used the money for the county purposes or did, did they just keep it in evidence? I don't actually know. Because I kind of feel like they would keep that in evidence. But if his case is ruled a suicide, then they're probably not investigating. But, so I don't really
0: know how this works. <laughs> I also feel like it would have said it was kept by the police department, not the county. Was it investigated by the sheriff though? It was investigated by the Boise Police Department. Oh. I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm just kind of spitballing and trying to make sense of confusing information. It's just a weird little tidbit. It's not really that important. Now that we've covered the circumstances of John Doe's death and discovery, as well as the personal items at the scene, let's dive into the investigation. The belt buckle John Doe was wearing was actually traced back to a gift shop in Arizona, but unfortunately, the lead didn't go anywhere. Additionally, the alias used on the suicide note, William L. Toomey, was discovered to be from a clothing manufacturing company that made clothes for nuns and priests.
1: Okay, and I want to take a second to say that the way it's spelled, William is just W-M. Right. And I just wanted to point that out. Like, it didn't actually say William. No, it says W-M-L-Tumi. Yeah. But ever online just says William. No, because that's, like, the abbreviation for William.
0: I just wanted to point that out because... Oh, that was weird. It is weird. And I hope I'm pronouncing Toomey right. It's T-O-O-M-E-Y. Toomey? Yeah, I don't know.
1: That's what it makes me think of. Yeah, I can't think of any other way to pronounce that. So what about this clothing manufacturing company? Like, is that the brand name William
0: L. Toomey? How is this related? Here's the thing. I guess Toomey is the only thing that's connected. The William L. part, I guess, is just fake. At least that's what... People think now, or that's what the police think now. But Toomey is associated with this company that's, I think, based in the East Coast, or it used to be.
1: Interesting. Did they look at any connection, possibly, to this clothing company, to
0: this guy? I don't know. I know for a long time they just worked on tracking down this name, and some people always thought it was a fake name, but didn't know what it was connected to. Some people still think it's a fake name, but don't think it's connected to the clothing company. Some people think that it's a real name, but maybe just possibly a f- fake
1: first name. Well, I think it's really weird that his name isn't spelled out. Like again, I don't think he wanted to be identified. People, or if he was murdered, they didn't want him to be identified, which again, I'm wildly
0: speculating and I need to back off.
1: Here's another thing.
0: Apparently the signature William L. Toomey on the note was handwritten. Like it was a oh. handwritten signature, even though the note was typed. Okay. And I guess that some people out there think that the signature does not look very well practiced. Like, it doesn't look like someone who had written that for 35 to 45 years of their life. Okay. And that's why a lot of people are pretty sure it's fake. That makes a lot of sense. Also, because of the Arizona belt buckle and the fact that the man had a pretty tan complexion even though it was December in Idaho... Investigators theorize that he came from California, Arizona, or New Mexico, or possibly Texas. I saw in one or two sources, but California, Arizona, and New Mexico were on the most prominent sources. I don't know why they specifically call out these three states when he could have just as easily have been from Utah or Oklahoma or anywhere else in the Southwest, but the Doe Network only lists him as possibly being from those three states.
1: We must know something that we don't, maybe.
0: I don't know. I don't know. Weird. But even with the hunch about John Doe originating from somewhere in the southwestern U.S., investigators followed leads as far as Pennsylvania, New York, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Illinois. But no new information came from any of those leads. Investigators have not been able to exclude anyone from being this John Doe. Which is most likely due to the fact that he does have fingerprints available, but it's unknown if he has dentals or DNA available.
1: Well, if he's buried, have they exhumed him or anything to try for DNA or to get his dental records? I don't think
0: he's been exhumed. That I know of. Okay. Alright, Zoe. Are you ready? for some truly wild theories about this John Doe. Here's one interesting speculation that the Doe Network lists with this case. Some people think that John Doe may have been involved in the murders of two priests from Odessa, Texas and Yuma, Arizona. The Doe Network says that there's no evidence to support this theory, but I have seen it a lot online, so I wanted to research it and see just how little evidence there really was.
1: I can't believe that this case is even being brought up right now. I know we're about to talk about it, but this case actually just had a huge, huge breakthrough. And you should go check out the Crime Junkie episode about it. We'll link the episodes that are relevant for this case. Because
0: guys, it's crazy. One of the cases that John Doe has been very loosely connected to online was the murder of Father Patrick Ryan. On December 21st, 1981, Ryan was brutally beaten to death in a motel in Odessa, Texas. A man named James Reyes was actually wrongly convicted of this murder, but he was exonerated just a couple of weeks ago as of the time of this recording in October 2023. Additionally, upon Reyes’s exoneration, we do know who killed Father Patrick Ryan, but unfortunately, both the killers are deceased. Now, Zoe, do you want to tell us about the breakthrough that this case just had? Because it's massive.
1: Yeah. So Madden touched briefly on the case. And we won't cover it because that's not really like our space. And Crime Junkie did an excellent job covering this case. And we're going to link out so you can listen. But James Reyes was wrongfully convicted of the murder of Father Patrick Ryan. Like there is literally... No way he could have
0: murdered this man.
1: And it was because two people listened to the episode about Father
0: Patrick Ryan. And I think the only reason Reyes was convicted is because he gave a false confession. There was some circumstantial evidence and Reyes did give a false confession. And ultimately, somehow it was enough to convict him.
1: Yeah, somehow the jury just decided to convict him. But it was crazy. I don't understand how he was convicted. But i think there was a lot of prejudice involved just listen to the crime junkie episode they'll dive deeper into it but what i really want to point out is that it was because a couple listened to crime junkie and listened to this episode they were from odessa where this murder took place i think the husband's father is the police chief in odessa or something like that and so this couple talked to him and they're like hey this guy could not have done this like you need to reopen this you need to reinvestigate this and they did And they realized that there is absolutely no way he could have done this, so he was exonerated because somebody listened to a podcast. This just goes to show why podcasts can change things. If those people hadn't listened to Crime Junkie, then James Reyes could have still been seen as a murderer for the rest of his life when he wasn't, he was innocent. And I don't believe that this John Doe is one of the murderers of Father Patrick Ryan. I don't know that for sure. I don't know the names. I don't think those have been publicly released yet. We just know that they're deceased, but I just can't believe this connection. And I just really want to point out that podcasts really do make a difference. And there's a reason that we do this. Like we're not just doing this because we like to hear ourselves talk. Podcasters in the true crime space that are doing it ethically are out here trying to make a difference and get these cases solved. I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) That turned into a soapbox, I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: I think you're exactly right. And you listeners out there who are listening to these podcasts every week or whenever the other podcast release schedule is, listeners make a difference too. It's not just the podcasters doing the work. You guys are doing the work out there too. It's because of the listeners that James Rails is exonerated. You You guys are just as important, if not even more
1: important, than us podcasters doing research. Yeah, so keep listening, keep sharing those stories. It gets to the right people, and then the right people make moves, and things happen. That's what happens.
0: Now, let's get into the other murder that John Doe is possibly very loosely connected to. The other priest murder that John Doe is speculated to be connected to is that of Benjamin Carrier. On November 10th, 1982, Carrier was found dead inside his motel room, and he had been suffocated to death. In both Ryan and Carrier's cases, their vehicles had been stolen, but were later found pretty far away. Both priests were known to pick up hitchhikers, and both were found in motel rooms. Some people think these cases are connected, some people don't, but there are a select few people in the camp that John Doe may have had something to do with these two murders. I really don't know why people think he's connected to these murders, because everything I just told you is everything that connects them to these murders. Like, there's almost nothing. There is nothing.
1: It's just the fact that he was
0: found in a church. In a church. Literally. In a Catholic church. The only ties are that John Doe may or may not have been from the Southwest and maybe had a tie to Catholicism.
1: I am pretty positive that this is just not it. I don't think it is. He is one of the unnamed killers of
0: Father Patrick Ryan. But like you'll see with most, if not all, of the theories that I'm going to present to you today, it's pretty flimsy. With that said, let's get into the next theory. For this next theory, I'm going to circle us back to something I mentioned way earlier in the episode. Do you remember when I told you about the Tylenol murders when I did my deep dive into cyanide?
1: Yeah, but there's no way they think that he was the Tylenol
0: murder. Oh yes, they do. They do think that. Uh, <sighs> This is something that gets brought up online a lot by web sleuths and other online detectives. The Tylenol murders happened just two months before John Doe took his own life using cyanide. Okay, I see the connection. It's flimsy, but I see it. This has led some people to speculate that perhaps John Doe was actually responsible for the Tylenol murders, And then he felt guilty or didn't want to be caught. So he committed suicide and used cyanide to do it.
1: Okay, but Chicago's not super close to Idaho. No, not really. But if he's trying to evade arrest or whatever, I,
0: I can see that, running to Idaho. There are some other things out there that people claim to connect him to the Tylenol murders, but when you really dive into the Tylenol murders, it just doesn't add up. This is like way more than I was going to get into for the murders, but I guess after the murders happened, Johnson and Johnson did a huge recall of all their Tylenol products. It was massive. And I guess that some of the Tylenol that was tainted had been produced in a production plant in Texas. And so people are connecting John Doe, possibly being from Texas, to this Texas Johnson & Johnson Tylenol plant that some of the tainted bottles came from. But the reason I didn't mention this to begin with is because the cyanide was slipped into the bottles once they had already hit the shelves. Someone went into like a CVS opened a bottle, put cyanide in it, and put it back on the shelf. It was not placed in it at the production line. This is totally a red herring to me.
1: Yeah, I was already skeptical of this. But hearing how people reason this as being possible makes me even more skeptical and more like this did not happen.
0: Yeah, they're reasoning it without doing the necessary research. Yeah, yeah. So and also,
1: didn't you say Texas isn't one of the places that he's like officially said that he could be from? Some people think he might have been, but it's not like on the Doe Network. It's not or on the Doe
0: Network, but the Doe Network also sometimes lists weird things, right? But, but it's no. more it's more reliable than Web Sleuths. And yeah, Reddit. some newspapers do say that he might have been from Texas. Okay, I don't know. Everyone agrees that he's probably from the Southwest, maybe yeah but that's only because he had a tan in the western style but i know people that wear western style in the midwest and Like, like there's nothing that would stop someone in florida from having a tan and also wearing western style
1: no that's a really flimsy kind of connection
0: yeah i really don't put any weight into this theory i think the only connection is the cause of death
1: yeah weird
0: but a lot of people online also point out that cyanide was not that difficult to get in the 80s. So then it literally, there's not a connection. If cyanide no. was like impossible to come by. It was not. It was not just on a CVS shelf. Like, you, it was not an over-the-counter medicine. You could not just walk into a drugstore and buy cyanide. However, it was apparently not that hard to get. So the fact that John Doe died of cyanide only a few months after the Tylenol murders. Not as improbable as it might seem.
1: Yeah. Let's move on. I don't think this is... I get you had to mention it because it's commonly suspected, but I don't see it. Yeah. Let's move on
0: to our next theory. This next theory is kind of proposed by this guy named Robin Warder, who's the host of a podcast called The Trail Went Cold. He featured John Doe's case in one of his episodes and he believes that John Doe may have had personal connection to Sacred Heart Church where he committed suicide.
1: Which is reasonable. I, I, I can see that.
0: Like I could see why that's a reasonable guess. It does seem interesting that someone would commit suicide in a church they had no connection to. Yeah. But that doesn't mean someone wouldn't do that. Right. Exactly. Some people think that John Doe didn't have any connection to the specific church, but rather he chose to take his life in a random church because he knew his body would be taken care of. Interesting. Okay. Instead of being left somewhere without being found or something, I guess. That makes sense. However, another reason that Warder believes John Doe may be familiar with this church, or at least was in the Catholic faith is that the Catholic Church used to really look down on people who died by suicide and it was considered a sin.
1: That's something that I was gonna bring up earlier because I feel like a lot of Christians believe or have believed, I don't know, I can't speak for all Christians right now, but that if you die by suicide, it's a sin and you like will go to hell.
0: I did Google it, I guess that's not as common now. Some Catholics now believe that even committing suicide, you can still, you know, you're not damned for all eternity. But Werder suggests that perhaps John Doe went into the church to seek absolution from the priest in the confessional before he committed suicide, but never got the chance. Which I could see. It's a reasonable
1: speculation, but as we've said many times before on this podcast, a lot of speculations just seem like they can make sense. Because we don't know. Yeah. I can put more weight behind this than some of the other theories you presented. Yeah. But
0: still, my only question it, would be, if you do go into a church with the intention to commit suicide, but you're seeking absolution first from the priest, why would you commit suicide before you get to speak to the priest?
1: Maybe he thought he had more time. Maybe he didn't realize how fast cyanide would work. Maybe. Maybe there were more people in line than he was expecting. Like, maybe he walked in the church, like, had already taken the cyanide and just
0: didn't get a chance to get in there. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. It's not a totally out-of-left-field theory, but I just don't think we have enough information. Yeah. Other people online also believe that John Doe may have had a personal connection to the church. But they don't think that he was seeking absolution when he died. I'm going to stop here and give you a content warning because I'm about to very briefly describe a case involving child pornography, which could be very triggering. If you want to skip ahead, feel free. You can rejoin us later in the episode. Listeners, if you want to skip this part, you can join us around 4505. In 2018, W. Thomas Foucher was arrested for the possession of thousands of materials relating to violent child pornography voucher was a priest in the sacred heart catholic church when john doe committed suicide do you know
1: how long prior he had been a priest at the church
0: i don't know for sure how long he had worked there okay i know that by 2018 he was retired
1: so he was probably an older man i think priests in catholic churches go to different churches like every so often i think i could be making that up i don't know As I've said, I don't know anything about Catholicism, really. John Doe wouldn't have necessarily had to have the connection to him specifically at that church. It could have been another church that he had a connection to him at.
0: Right. According to prosecutors, the evidence collected from the former priest's home, because he did lose his priesthood after this. I would hope so. I would hope so, too. Was some of the most disturbing that the Idaho Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force had ever encountered.
1: People are sick.
0: When detectives searched the material at Foucher's home, they found his online writings about his desires slash plans to commit absolutely heinous crimes against children. This case has a lot more information to it, but it made me so incredibly angry as I was researching it, and I couldn't even fathom writing Foucher's story and giving him a platform to share it with you any more than I had to. So... That's as far as we'll go with his crimes. What a terrible human being. Luckily, Foucher died in prison and will never be able to hurt anyone ever again. The only reason I brought up Foucher at all is because one of the theories in John Doe's case revolves around him. Some people think that perhaps Foucher had sexually abused John Doe as a child, and that John Doe had come to the church that day to exact some form of revenge. As the theory goes, John Doe never got to confront Foucher and took his own life in the church. That's
1: kind of a heartbreaking theory, but I mean, we know that there's a lot of sexual abuse allegations going on right now.
0: Especially in the Catholic Church.
1: Yes. So for me, this theory isn't too out of left field, maybe. With all of these theories, they're very crazy but we have no idea what happened to this guy. And I don't think we will until we
0: know who he is. And again, this theory kind of makes sense to me. I think this would have been way less reliable of a theory if someone had just been speculating this. But the fact that Foucher was convicted of all of this gives it a little more weight. Right. There is no denying that Foucher is a horrible awful, disgusting excuse for a human who deserved every single second jail. And more. He deserved he more. more time. But this theory about John Doe does feel pretty speculative to me. And without more information, like you said, Zoe, especially without his identity, I don't think we could ever say if this is what happened. Exactly. It seems plausible. It seems like it could have
1: happened, but we just don't know. And until we know more about who John Doe is
0: and what his life was like, we do just don't know and we can't know. If you do want to hear something that made me pretty mad while I was reading it, Foucher was actually the priest who did the funeral mass for John Doe. That's disgusting. Even if Foucher is not connected to this John Doe, the fact that a man like that is performing funerary services for people that died, disgusting. He's a disgusting person. Let's move on to our last theory now. For our last theory... I guess some people think that John Doe may have been a spy or involved in some kind of espionage. There's no evidence to suggest this beyond the cyanide, and it kind of feels like people are maybe watching too many spy movies, but Zoe, what do you think? I don't know a whole lot of spies who dress up in Western gear. I don't know. know what he would have been spying on. No,
1: I don't know what's going on in Idaho,
0: but Idaho is literally the state that I forget about the most often. And I think that spies carry cyanide in case they're literally captured. Yeah, not just to walk into a church. Yeah, no. And decide that they want to take their own life. Like, that's not usually what spy cyanide is for. I don't think I don't even I, know if spies still do that I feel like that might be a sci-fi movie thing
1: I just feel like this is somebody writing their own novel and trying to get ideas from reality and I think that's
0: not cool yeah I don't give this theory much weight but no. it's out there so I wanted to hear your thoughts Unfortunately for this John Doe, just like there were no exclusions, there don't seem to be any potential matches out there either. People online are so focused on why John Doe committed suicide and his connections to theories of varying degrees of plausibility that no one has suggested any matches and no matches have really been examined in this case. I did do my own search for matches, but there doesn't seem to be anything out there. I think the most likely explanation is that this John Doe is simply not in a database yet.
1: And unfortunately, that's a reality with a lot of these cases.
0: As far as what can be done next, we need to keep investigating. Boise police told a local newspaper that John Doe's case is still open technically, but no one within the police department is actively working on it. I think we should start working on this case again. And I think the first step is exhuming John Doe's body to extract DNA and maybe complete an updated forensic reconstruction. And isotopes. And isotope testing. That would be really beneficial to know if he was actually from the Southwest. We know that it was John Doe's wish to be cremated, but maybe he was buried for a reason. Maybe if we can get DNA and identify him, he could be cremated as he originally requested. This case is far from unsolvable. I think we just have to push to get it actively investigated again. John Doe may have taken his own life and with that, his identity too. But I think with more investigating, his name can be found and he can be laid to rest like he wanted to be. If you or anyone you know has information about the John Doe from Boise, Idaho. You can contact the authorities and their information is on our website.
1: And if you need an extra fix this week, go join our Patreon. We have some really good content on there. We've already got too many episodes and two full episodes and we cover missing persons cases, we cover Doe cases. We cover a lot in our Patreon and it's really fun. We're kind of more lighthearted in it. Um, so if you enjoy listening to us here, definitely go check out the Patreon. The subscription is just $5 a month and we donate a portion of what we earn from that Patreon to help make change in these cases.
0: And if you are enjoying our episodes, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening or share us with your friends and family. Getting these cases shared is one of the best ways they can be solved. As we saw in this episode, if those people hadn't been listening to a podcast, that case wouldn't have been solved. So share our podcast, share other people's true crime podcasts. Listeners,
1: you make a difference. It doesn't matter if we just make a podcast. It matters if you listen and take action.
0: Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Unnamed O podcast. We'll see you next week. This episode was written and researched by Madden Delaney. All editing and music was done by Zoe Reese.